turn in our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Working our way through this book of 1 Thessalonians, and <clears throat> Paul had been, you remember the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul was basically writing to them with a little bit of doctrinal issues, straightening out some questions that they had had, but for the most part, the bulk of the book is really Paul just sharing with these guys how blessed he is at the news that he has heard about them. He reminded them of the way that he came to them and the way they responded to the gospel. If you remember, um, Thessalonica was a city in northeastern area of the Grecian peninsula, and um, Paul had come there and, and taught for a matter of just a few weeks, three weekends that we know of and possibly a little bit more. And the church in Thessalonica was started, made primarily of Gentiles who had previously been fascinated by Judaism and, and, and working on converting to Judaism. Um, but then several uh, other people who got involved and the church started and, and God did a great thing there. But Paul got run out of town pretty quickly and he headed down to Berea, and the Jewish leaders from Thessalonica were so hardcore that they left Thessalonica to go down to Berea and hassle Paul further, even there in Berea, and ran him out of town in Berea. He headed further south in Greece down to Athens and, and then consequently over to Corinth where he was writing this letter. But he had sent Timothy, as he explains in this third chapter, in order to check up on the Thessalonians because he was concerned for them, actually worried about them, afraid of the, the state that the church might be in as a result of some of the difficult times that they were going through. And now he is reporting back to them how excited he was to hear all that God was doing there in Thessalonica. So let's um, work our way through these first several verses and then see what God might have for us in it. He says, therefore, and that means on the basis of what he's been saying, how blessed he was to meet them and to see God work in their lives and how much he missed them. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, literally, we couldn't keep a lid on it anymore. We, we just really needed to hear about you. And for some reason, Paul wasn't free to go back, perhaps because of the persecution that was up there. But but for whatever reason, we couldn't stand it anymore. And so he said, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to help you to be solid and to encourage you, the Greek word parakaleo, to be called alongside you, to cheer you on, concerning your faith. And so Paul had... He needed Timothy with him when he was there in Athens and as before he went on to Corinth, but, but he said, I, I just so was anxious about your condition that I would rather be left alone and stay there and send Timothy to do that which, which I, I just needed someone to encourage you and to be there for you. You can't be in two places at once. I know I feel this way whenever there's a missions trip that I don't get to go on. I feel this way whenever I go on a missions trip and I don't get to be here. But Paul had that feeling. He's like, I couldn't be in two places at once. But So I, I allowed Timothy to, to go off and, and to come and, and to try to encourage 
you guys, and um, concerning your faith. And the word there, faith, is the word pistis. It means literally persuasion. It came to refer to the totality of, of that which is your Christianity, that which you believe. But the idea is you were persuaded to change your life. And now your life itself provides this great argument for Christianity. And so he's looking at it in that perspective. But he goes on and says, in order that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. The, the word there for shaken is an interesting word. Literally, it means a dog wagging its tail. Um, to move back and forth is what it means, but it referred to a dog wagging its tail. The word came to mean um, fawning over someone, or another way to look at it is he was saying, I was concerned that you guys would wimp out. I was concerned that you'd be kissing up, that you would just become wusses in, in that which you, know, you had committed yourselves to as a result of the difficulties that would come. Or as he says, the afflictions, the, the word there for affliction is the word thalipsis in the Greek, T-H-L-I-P-S-I-S, if you're spelling it in English. But it was, uh, that's a word that means pressure. And he said, I was afraid that the pressure on you would cause you to wimp out, would cause you to just wag your tail to whatever it is that people wanted you to do, that, that the world would, in a sense, tame you from the radical calling that God had put on your life. And so he said, uh, he said, you yourselves know that we're appointed to this. Paul had told them, it's going to get difficult. It's gonna, the pressure will be on you if you give your life to Christ. He didn't call them to a real easy, you know, life is just going to be a, you know, a, a bowl of cherries. It's just going to be dancing through a field of roses. He let them know the pressure is going to be on if you give your life to Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 4, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation. Now that word tribulation is a different form of the word afflictions, but it, it, this word, um, it, instead of thlipsis, it's thlibo, and it, it refers, when there's a distinction between them, it refers to being crowded, to being kind of you know, suffocated by the pressing of the crowd. And he said, I told you, you'll suffer just as it happened, and you know. And for this reason, he said, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, your, your conviction, your pistis, lest by some means the tempter, Satan, had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. Everything that we had been through, that it might have been a waste. But now that Timothy, who he described earlier as our brother, a minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel, now that Timothy came back to us, and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction, flips us the same word, and all our pressure, but also and distress. And that word for distress there literally means to have your arm bent behind your back and pulled up high. He said, hey, I know pressure, and he said, I'm in an arm bar as 
they're trying to push me, force me, conform me. And he said, in all of that, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. But now we live, or basically, you've made my life. If you stand fast, stakos is the Greek word there. It means to be solid, to be standing, to be you know, just there, locked in. He said, if you're solid in the Lord, you made my life. So Paul is telling them, hey, I was worried about you. In fact, I was so concerned that under the pressure and under the tempting and the luring that the world that Satan would do on you, I was afraid that everything that we had done with you might turn out to be nothing. I was afraid that it might not amount to anything. Now, what a what a scary thought that all the trouble he had been through there and all the praying and caring and loving, he was afraid as to how it was going to turn out. Now, this isn't necessarily, an, and I don't think this has a, a huge impact on the argument of eternal security and things like that, but suffice it to say, Paul was never one who would just say, hey, don't worry, you're secure. He was concerned. He said over in 2 Corinthians, make sure that you examine yourselves to see if you're really of the household of faith. Not necessarily that you could lose your salvation. His concern was, I'm afraid that it will turn out to be nothing. That this would be, have just been a phase in your life. And that change that was supposed to happen, that faith that's supposed to radiate from your life, I was concerned that it just might not even be there. Paul was saying, I really needed to know, how are you guys going to deal with the pressure? How are you going to deal with temptation? I told you it would happen. I warned you about it. It's a a natural part of the Christian life, but I was really concerned how you'd do with it. But, he said, I got a report back. Your faith was strong. You're standing in your faith. You, You are... You are distinct. You have a testimony. You have a witness. People see that you've found a different way to live, a real alternative to what the world is doing. And not only that, your love, that affection that God has worked in your life, the fact that you care. When you begin to slip away from a solid faith, the first way that that happens is the love is gone. And if love is gone, everything else is a waste. As Paul had said over there in 1 Corinthians 13, it doesn't matter what else you do, if you don't have love, it doesn't amount to anything. It's just a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. But he said, I found out you guys weren't just noise. The Spirit was working in you. Love was radiating from you. And your faith was solid. It was uncompromising. It was strong. Your faith was exemplary. In fact, it was persuasive. People would look at you and they would be convicted that that's something that they wanted for their own life, not because of the ease that you were living in, no far from it. The fact that you were willing to give up that ease was that which made all the difference in the world in terms of me hearing back from Timothy that you guys have it, that you're locked in, that you've made it. And Paul said, to me, man, I got pressure you can't imagine. My arm's being twisted all the time, but you just made my life. 
to find out how you're living. Now, for us in our society, there's no one who's really out to make life difficult for us, except the tempter is still at work. And society is still, in a lot of ways, trying to help us, lead us away from a solid faith in Jesus Christ. And the danger that Paul was talking about that existed there in Thessalonica is something that we ought to be concerned about ourselves. Is what we believe in for nothing? Is there a reason for our lives to actually manifest and show forth a difference, an alternative, a faith, something solid? And again, just like in their day, you know, they not only were harassed by the Jewish leaders, no doubt, but most of these guys in this church were Gentiles, and the Jewish leaders couldn't have a huge impact on them. But for the pagans, it was a threat as they began to follow Jesus Christ. For the government, it was a worry for them. And so they had pressure on them, but a lot of the pressure was just trying to get them to mellow out a little bit, was trying to get them to calm down. Look, Life would be so much more comfortable for you if you just toned down the whole Christian thing. If you would just settle down and learn to wag your tail like a good little doggy. If you would just compromise enough that it would be pleasant. And you know, today our society is at odds with what we believe, is at odds with our faith. And today, just like in those days, There are those who would want to get us to wag our tails. There are those who would pressure us to go, just take it easy a little bit. Let's not be controversial. Because see, the nature of our faith is a radical faith. If you believe the Bible, you believe some things that there are people out there that are going to hate it. I mean, for instance, something just as basic as salvation To believe that you accept Jesus Christ and you're saved and you go to heaven, that's not much of a threat to people until you start talking about, well, what happens if you don't? What happens to the people who don't accept Jesus Christ? And there's all kinds of pressure on us to just go, well, they're in God's hands and God loves them and I hope they're fine too. But the problem is this book tells us that people who don't put their faith in Jesus Christ, are condemned to an eternity in hell. Now, if you want to argue with how I'm interpreting that, my interpretations are not flawless, but God's Word is, and I believe exactly what it says, and thus, I believe that people who don't find Jesus Christ are in serious trouble when they die, but the world doesn't want to hear that. And so the crowds would pressure us to just kind of mellow out on that. And, and, and people don't necessarily give in to that pressure by, by um, denying that they believe it. It's just that we don't want to talk about it anymore. We don't want to let people know. But see, the problem is what we have now is often conversion doesn't sound like a life and death matter anymore. It doesn't. And if you listen, even in a lot of churches, What they're telling you to do is, hey, here's a little something that's going to spice your life up. Here's a little something extra that'll help you out. You have a great life now. Everybody's good. People are good. Life is good. America's beautiful. But hey, add a little Jesus to it, and it'll be even better. 
you'll pick up some more holidays that can mean something to you. And, and you'll find other people who believe the way you do, and that's just going to be so nice and warm and fuzzy. And that's what it becomes. Like, well, it's just a, it's kind of good if you have it, but it's not that big of a deal. It's just, you can kind of, maybe I'm here, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm in. Kind of like the way most people are a fan of a sports team when our area doesn't really have one. You know, we don't have a football team in our area. I don't consider um, San Diego a part of California. But um, <laughs> they're Mexico's team down there, the Chargers. But, um, <laughs> but the Super Bowl was coming, and I was excited about it. And, and I decided that I am on the side of Indianapolis. Not because I care about Indiana at all, or, you know, I'm not a big fan of those Manning brothers, but... I was mad at the Saints. I mean, it's too bad because Saints, that's a great name for a team. But I was mad at them because they had roughed up a couple of my quarterbacks in the previous couple of games. I didn't like the way they ended up retiring, you know, a really right-on Christian quarterback. And, and then Brett Favre, who will never retire, they knocked him around silly. And so I, I decided, you know what, I want the Colts to win. But I don't know, something happened during the game somehow where you kind of, you know, boy, I forgot how much I like Reggie Bush, and, you know, Drew Brees is a Christian too, and, you know, he's got that awful scar, and it's like, you know, and their city has been through so much, and <laughs> Katrina, and, and, all, and all of a sudden, I'm forgetting what a pagan city New Orleans is, and I'm like, <laughs> at the end, I'm cheering for the saints, and I'm like, what happened? I'm just, I'm glad I didn't invest in a jersey or something, but, but see, that's kind of the way some people's view of Christianity is. I'm not even really going to buy the jersey, but yeah, I'm a Christian. Sure, when it's convenient, I'm one of those. But we're really careful because if somebody goes, oh, so you're a Christian. Are you a Christian like so-and-so? Oh, no, I'm not that kind of Christian. I'm more of a kind of a Christian light. I'm kind of a, you know, there are some Christians I like, but I'm, I'm just I'm basically a Christian because I'm into nice people and good things and family in America, that kind of Christian. But see, real Christianity is radically different than that. The Bible is radically different than that. The Bible teaches things that people don't like. The Bible says things that are difficult to respond to. You know, when I read the Bible, it says that God created the world by just speaking it into existence. Do I believe that? Or do I believe that, you know, Luck over billions of years, it kind of happened, and I guess in sort of a way you can just see how fortuitous circumstances were almost as if God spoke in a fairy tale way, and it's like, no, sorry. I, I believe, now, I'm not going to get into all the particulars of it, but I believe that the universe was created because God spoke it into existence, because that's what my Bible tells me. But a lot of people aren't comfortable with that. And a lot of people would want me to just, okay, if you're going to believe that, just shut up about it. Or you have something like, I mean, one of the things that Christians are really pressured about today is, so, what do you believe about homosexual marriage? What do you, you know, and I'm not freaking out about homosexual marriage. I really don't believe that if, if they let homosexuals get married, then therefore Ann and I aren't married or we have to become homosexuals or something. I mean, I think there's a lot of overreaction to it, but at the same time, there's a time when we have to speak up and say, uh, yeah, 
According to what the Bible says, I believe that two people of the same sex who are living together as husband and wife, um, yeah, I think that's a sin. I don't think that's God's plan. I don't think that's what he wants for people. And I'm sorry if that offends you. Now, again, I'm not going to get up here every week and act like that's the big issue and the worst sin in the world is homosexuality. You know, if you're living and violating God's commandments in that way, I just want to tell you right now, God loves you as much as he loves me or anyone else. And he doesn't see you with that identification. He just wants to give you a better life. He has something better for you than what you see. But yes, the word says he doesn't want you to be that way. He doesn't, you're not going to find your highest fulfillment in life by living that lifestyle. But you know, today, when you almost say that, you're kind of uncomfortable. Like, oh, shoot, are they going to be picketing here next week or whatever? And, but you know, a Christian is somebody who believes this book and who is willing to go with what it says even when it puts pressure on you even when it's uncomfortable for you, even when it might be offensive, we have decided on a faith. We have decided to put our faith in the God of this book and in what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross to to save us by his grace. And and that's our faith. But sometimes that's going to put us in an uncomfortable situation for sure. But I'll tell you something When you become a Christian, you are laying yourself out, which is literally what that word means when it says that we are appointed to this in verse 3. Appointed means to lay yourself out. And he says, when you become a Christian, you are laying yourself out and you're going, yep, I am willing to be uncomfortable. I am willing to experience difficulty. I am expecting the pressure to come on. And we don't like pressure. The, that word there, um, philipsis, for pressure and it, closeness, and it's like the claustrophobia that some people feel. I don't really get claustrophobic. I do have this weird thing that happens when I get in certain stores that are just, you know, a flurry of activity. But, I, you know, some people just, they dread having an MRI, because you have to lay in that machine. They, seem, they don't mind it when it's a tanning machine, but when it's the same <laughs> machine that's looking inside you, they just like, oh, I can't stand this. I, I've had people tell me for months that they just won't go to the doctor because they're so afraid of an MRI. Now, for me, an MRI is like 45 minutes of peace. I love it. I, I'm like, hey, close me in here. I'm fine. But life in different ways has ways of pressuring us, doesn't it? A lot of times for us, that involves just choices. Do I do this or do I do that? I'm pulled in so many directions at once. Life is so crowded. We are so surrounded, and everyone's trying to get a piece of us, and and our, our, our time is being divided, and our loyalties are being challenged, and our oh, oh, we're just exhausted. Sometimes you start the day thinking of, okay, what am I going to do this week? And by the time you write down a few things, you're already worn out because it's like, oh, this is terrible. Well, the Christian life is a life that says, you know what? I expect pressure. I expect difficulty, I expect discomfort, but I have chosen to live my life for what is correct and what is true rather than to live my life to try to make it comfortable. To live, the greatest comfort that you'll ever have is lying in a casket. This doesn't hurt at all. 
But there are some people who expect Christian life to be that way. Uh, this is, uh, and I'm amazed sometimes at the way that people will make decisions based on such flimsy little things. I mean, it's funny. I, and I've had several people, and I, I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are coming to church here when it's difficult. You have to park up the hill and take the bus down. Not a bad bus, by the way, but, but, you know, but I'm looking out and I'm thinking, boy, when the parking lots are both done and we can park here and it's going to be, I bet a lot more people are going to be coming to church. Really? I mean, is that really how it works? Like, you're going to decide where to go to church based on where the parking is? I mean, think about the early church and what they faced and what they had to deal with. And we're just like, yeah, I don't know. We're in, a, we're in a culture, we're in a situation whereby we might go look outside and say, you know, it's Sunday, but it looks like it might rain. And if they rain, if it rains, they don't have donuts. I, <laughs> let's just stay home. And I've, I've told you before, sometimes I'll be in like Costco or something and somebody comes up and goes, hey, Pastor Day, boy, we really miss your teaching. You know, we used to go to your church and, you know, but we moved. And, and I go, oh, where'd you move? Oh, Irvine. I'm like, yeah, I can understand that commute on Sunday from Irvine is just horrible. But, I mean, but that's the way we're conditioned. And the devil loves it because... If all we're doing is what's comfortable, and if, our, if for us our faith is defined by, uh, I'll do this if, uh, if I don't have anything else better to do, or I'll do this every once in a while, or you know, on and off, I'm whatever, got a lot of stuff going on, got a lot of pressure on me, a lot's happening in my... Really? Is, is that the kind of life that really shines forth to others? In fact... A life of love, which is what Christianity is, as he says here, faith and love. If you're going to live a convenient, comfortable life, you'll never love anyone. For some people, we talk about home fellowships, and they're like, I, I can't do that. Why? I already go to church on Sunday. <laughs> I mean, and I know, like, you have Wednesday night services, but those are pretty much for lonely people. And... <laughs> You know, but a, a, another night, hey, yeah, you know, it'd be great, but do you have like, are you going to do a home fellowship online that we could just kind of <laughs> Twitter each other and, you know, we can all eat the same refreshments at the time? Uh, people are just like, no, Christianity, you have to understand, in order for people to see it the way it is, it involves being uncomfortable. It involves going out of your way. It involves maybe you don't get everything you want. But the way Paul saw it, the faith, the way he communicated it with the Thessalonians is, he says, that's what makes you. Those are your opportunities to really show that you're willing to discomfort yourself for the faith, for what you believe in. I was just talking to Steve Goodman, who just got back from being over in Africa. Talk about comfort. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, and, and you'd think, well, a guy from here going to Africa, how important could that be? If you're a guy in Africa who doesn't have water and somebody's coming here from the United States in order to bring water to you and share the gospel with you, the fact that that guy went out of his way that much, it's like you made my life. 
And that's just, what, that's just what Paul is saying here. It makes my life when I see that you are willing to be uncomfortable. He goes, hey, I'm with you. I'm uncomfortable. I'm being crowded in. The tempter is tempting me. And there's a world out there who's telling me to wag my tail and go for what's easy and simple. But he goes, they can twist my arm all they want. I'm in this thing for the long haul. I am going to do what God has called me to do. You know, I wonder, when you hear about people who are going off on a missions trip, it's great, it's wonderful. We can't all go, everyone can't be in the same place all the time. But I would challenge you to ask yourself, what are the reasons why you don't take an opportunity sometime to do something crazy like that? And deep down inside you, that question, though it'll make you uncomfortable, is going to uncover for you some of the things that Paul was worrying about in the Thessalonians. Because there's something that's more important than being able to go and share the gospel. I would challenge you if you're thinking about not doing a home fellowship, why? And then ask yourself, is that showing me something about me that maybe needs to give in, that maybe needs to be broken, where I need to say, sorry, that's not what my life is about. Those factors are not what I live for. I've given my life for the faith, something that's persuasive and powerful and life-changing. And I signed on this to be different, to have a complete paradigm shift in my life. I didn't just look to take on an extra little thing like, yeah, you know, Jesus, come and join me. He doesn't want to join you. He wants you to join him. And whatever that does to your lifestyle, he has the right to define life for all of us. And I worry about us when I realize that the same tempter that was tempting them is tempting us. That the same threat to them is a very real threat to us. That we would roll over and let this world scratch our bellies as we wiggle our tails and everybody's fine and everything's happy. And yeah, you know, I, uh, oh, where'd you go this morning? Um, I went and heard a guy, uh, kind of a motivational speaker. Really? I mean, is, is that who we are? Is that what we've become? Such a, such a flimsy, barely different sort of you know, way of helping your life? Is Christianity just self-help? Or is it laying your life on the altar and saying, Whatever I was before, I am dead to now. I start over and I want everything that God has for me. Because any faith that's less than complete commitment, with Paul, I worry if it's faith at all. I worry if there's a reality there at all. And so what he heard back from them was great news. Awesome. Your faith is strong. Your love is obvious. You made my life when I heard that, when I found that out. And if someone like Paul were to hear about us, how we live our lives, would he see us wagging our tails? Would he see us radically sold out for Jesus Christ and saying, makes my life when I see that 
that almost 2,000 years after I wrote that stuff, people's lives are still being challenged and changed by the things that I shared because I was willing to lay my life on the line. I was willing to have my arm twisted so that you would join in and submit yourself to that kind of pressure yourself. Please don't live your life with the idea of how can I alleviate pressure as much as I can. Lay your life on the line and expect pressure. Expect it to be difficult. And when we do, we will too, we'll discover like Paul did, I just discovered life. Until you find something that's worth dying for, you've never found anything that's worth living for. Jesus Christ calls us to complete and total surrender. To do anything less is to rip ourselves off and to rip off others who were supposed to come to faith when they observed our faith. And so let's just take this to heart. I know that life hurts. It's supposed to. There's trouble. There's tribulation. There's affliction. There's pressure. What are you going to do under pressure? Is faith and love what's going to come out? Or are you going to be embarrassed, wagging your tails with everybody else in the world, trying to pretend like everything's fine, we're just like you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for your word and for the example that these people, they were brand new Christians there in Thessalonica, and yet they've, their testimony has spoken to us of this kind of conviction, of this kind of strength of belief and faith, this kind of a stand. Lord, we are sorry when we make our life decisions based on comfort, based on peer pressure, based on what's acceptable and convenient and doesn't cost us too much. Lord, please call us to a radical faith. Help us to have the real thing and to know that it's the real thing by the pressure, by the difficulty, by the temptation. If we're not tempted to do something other than what we're doing, then chances are, God, we're not doing what you've called us to do because we know there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. Lord, help us to stand fast. Help us to be solid and dependable. People of conviction in a world that is opposed to us. Lord, we thank you for going first for laying your life on the line so that we could never lecture you about pressure. You knew it, and you took it for us. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.